Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Lauren Good, Senior Editor of Tech at The Verge. And Kara Swisher isn't here today, but we do have a great guest to take her place. Kara's hard to replace, but I'm confident he's going to be able to, to handle it. This is Too Embarrassed to Ask. It's a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. If you have questions about tech that you've been too embarrassed to ask, you have found the right podcast. Our motto is always, no question is a bad question, so you can send us yours. You submit your questions in advance by tweeting them to at Recode, or you can tweet to me directly. I'm at at Lauren Good, and be sure to include the hashtag Too Embarrassed so we know where to find it. You can also find all of our past episodes on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And we always say while you're there, leave us a review. You guys have left some really nice reviews, and we take your feedback pretty seriously. Okay, so we probably should do a proper intro here. Uh, Kara Swisher is off this week, and in her place, I'm thrilled to introduce in her place executive editor of The Verge, Dieter Bohn. Hello. Today on the show. Thanks so I'm much for being here. very excited to be here. This is my first time on this podcast. I know. We were very excited when you moved out to the West Coast because I knew we'd be able to work you into the rotation yeah. more. And you're super busy with other podcasts, too. You do Vergecast. And I do Vergecast. I've been on uh, What's Tech with Chris Plant a couple mm-hmm. times. I'll probably do that again. Yeah. We've got a ton of podcasts. We have a lot of podcasts so across Vox yeah. right now and across Recode, but we'll tell you all about those um, towards the end. And um, I'm not just saying this because Dieter is my editor, and I like <laughs> when he edits me in a kind and fair way, but Dieter is kind of a rare unicorn at The Verge, for those of you who don't know Dieter um, or maybe you're not as familiar with what he does. We like to say that Kara is a, a sparkly vampire because she stays up all night. Dieter is a sparkly unicorn. He basically keeps the trains running at the verge, manages like, what do you mean, like 80 people or something we're, like that. We're getting close to 80 people. A really, yeah. really big staff. And on top of all of that, you do a lot of your own writing. I try. You yeah. do some really great writing, some really insightful pieces. And that's a tough balance to strike. So and now you're podcasting with me, so yeah. I'm really excited. I, I'm really not good at receiving praise. Uh, so I know, you look, I, I, I have you to, look very uncomfortable I have to right immediately now. undercut by uh, making an admission. You said there's there's no such thing as an embarrassing question. There's definitely embarrassing answers. My most embarrassing thing, though, in this context is I literally in my entire life have never spelled the word embarrassed right on the first try. We always say two R's and two S's. And once you're on this podcast, you'll never forget that. I'm totally going to forget it. Two- <laughs> And Kara always says, for those of you who cannot spell, which I mean, <laughs> you're basically saying a lot of people can't, can't yeah. spell embarrassed correctly, but we'll try to remember two R's and two S's when you tweeted us your questions so we can, we can find them. Okay, Dieter, so what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I imagine we ought to talk about WWDC or uh, as the, the cool kids call it, Dub Dub, um, which really just drives me nuts. Uh, but it's Apple's uh, annual developer conference. And uh, we were expecting a pretty big one this year. It seems like over the past few years, Apple has uh, started to make it clear that they don't want to introduce new hardware at this event very often. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this year there wasn't. And so everybody was very agitated about that. But uh, that meant that there was a lot more space to announce a lot of other software stuff and across four different operating systems. So now taking a quick step back yeah. for those of you who maybe don't follow WWDC as closely as we do, it stands for Worldwide Developers Conference right. and it is an event for software developers. Yeah. So every spring we have this event and Apple has this event and it's all about the new software you're going to see 
coming out throughout the year. And a lot of companies do this now. Facebook has mm-hmm. a developers conference. Samsung does one. Microsoft has Microsoft Build. We covered Google I.O.'s developer conference a few weeks ago. So it's a very common thing. Um, but generally, you're not seeing a lot of hardware announcements, right. except for the occasional surprise, right? Right, exactly. And it's always this, uh, these conferences are always a weird mix of they know that regular people are watching. And so they will do you know, stuff for consumers to see it, for them to get excited about. There'll be a big keynote. Apple, of course, is very, very good at doing big keynotes. Uh, but then there's an entire week after that of sessions for developers where sometimes other news comes out. But really, it's like, how do you use this API? How do you code this thing? How do you use this new tool we've created? How exactly does this like weird new piece of software work? And so uh, it ends up being, if you're interested in technology, this really interesting mix of like, you can be excited about the new products, but what you actually get excited about are like the possibilities that are coming for future products because of the software that they've told you about. So you mentioned earlier hardware versus software. Yeah. And I think, I know we at The Verge were hoping maybe there would be a hardware surprise in there, but there wasn't. No. No uh, hardware. We, I mean... Before these events happen, there's always like the rumor mill ramps up and you start to people start to say what they expect is going to happen. And we were hoping for new MacBook Pros because uh, they are ridiculously overdue. Uh, basically, every single Mac, if you look at like how long it's been since they've released one, it feels like they're overdue. And we were also honestly hoping for like a home speaker uh, in the same way that Amazon has Alexa and Google has the Google Home speaker. Uh, we figured it was time for Apple to enter that market. But no, uh, nothing. No hardware whatsoever. Mm-mm, not uh, even a car. Not even a car. Not even an Apple car no. just driving off into the, into the sunset. Yeah. And no. the, we, we did get to see CarPlay on like a generic CarPlay dashboard, uh, Apple's like car system. And there's a couple announcements there, but no, 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 nothing. I was hoping for like a, a glider. I think that would be cool. <laughs> an Apple drone, maybe? Yeah. Right. Well, pretty so, cool, but, but just I buzzing think, around over our heads. It's Apple, so it would, it would have to be. Apple doesn't believe in fans on anything, right? Yeah. They, they took it out of the, the new MacBook, and so they, they if they wanted a drone, it would have to be fanless, and fanless. the rotors on drones are basically fans. Right. So I think they'd make a glider. And also, it would have to be all white, and yeah. DJI kind of already, already has the market locked yeah. down on white drones. That's right. So, yeah. And they sell them in Apple stores. And they sell right, yeah. exactly. Well. We'll keep hoping for a fall event because there's always a fall event. That usually is when Apple will introduce new hardware. Sometimes they do a spring event, some type Mm -hmm. of refresh uh, or an iPad event and that's that kind of thing. So one of the things that Apple said this week at WWDC during the keynote is that it really looks at um, its app store now as four different app stores. Most people think iPhone. That still is. They'll think that's the biggest right? by far. But there's not only iPhone, but there's iPad. Mm -hmm. Well, there's iPhone and iPad combined. So Mm -hmm. that's considered iOS. There's Mac. OS. There's TV OS yeah. for Apple TV because Apple has said before that it believes the future of TV is apps. And then there's that little thing that I think, are you wearing it right I now? I am you wearing are? it Apple right Watch. Now. Yeah. So there's Watch OS. Um, so let's break down some of the news that came out for each of these platforms. Sure. Let's start with iOS. What do you think was the biggest takeaway from the iOS news? So I believe Tim Cook called this the mother of all software releases yeah. for iOS 10. Um, it's kind which of was, hyperbolic. Yeah, it, the was iOS 10, so they had like 10 core features, um, and I don't. I'm sure I couldn't list all 10 of them, it, but it was it was really kind of a. Um, I keep overusing this word, but it was a smorgasbord. <laughs> Smorgasbord. Um, is that how you're actually supposed to say that? I don't know. It's a smorgasbord. <laughs> it is a whole, just a big plate full of different things that you could get were getting fixed up. So photos got improved and uh, they like moved widgets around and they changed the core UI. They improved control center a little bit. They did a bunch of like shuffling around of different pieces of the core operating system and how you use it. But the biggest news to me 
by far is uh, iMessage. Mm-hmm. I think they they added eight or ten features to iMessage, all sorts of fun little things. Everything except the thing we were all hoping for, which is that they would bring it to Android. Mm-hmm. Um, but setting that aside, the abilities that they've added to iMessage to be more expressive, you can have bigger emojis, you can like do full screen animations, you can send these uh, these like secret message things what what did they call it they're called invisible ink invisible ink yeah it it shows like a little sparkle and then when you tap on it it actually shows you the message just a lot more ways to just have fun with iMessage and and third-party apps now and now third-party apps i mean that that was a pretty big deal for iMessage because throughout the developer conferences this spring we've seen what all the different tech companies are doing around intelligent messaging words like ai and bots are used a lot right in skype now Mm -hmm. there's a bot that will respond for you facebook messenger has a bot that's responding for you um and all this stuff and and apple's not doing that but the fact that they're letting third-party apps work within iMessage i thought was a pretty big deal yeah, no, I completely agree. It, um, it's interesting to me that instead of going with bots, which uh, most people agree right now are pretty not good, mm-hmm. <laughs> a nice way to put yeah. it, um, Apple is a huge app powerhouse. And so, of course, they want to talk, talk in terms of apps instead of in terms of bots. And so you said earlier there are four app stores. There's actually now kind of like 4.5 because iMessage will have its own section in the app store yeah. for iMessage apps. And you'll be able to do things like send payments or you'll be able to book a reservation. You can book reservations. Dinner reservation or something. You can you when you send something to somebody through iMessage that uses an app, they'll get a link to automatically install the app themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that is technically an app is uh, sticker packs. Mm -hmm. And the neat thing about sticker packs is uh I went to one of those nerdy developer sessions I mentioned and you don't need to be a developer to make and submit a sticker pack. You open up Apple's uh, development tool. It's called Xcode. And you just like drag in the pictures you want to make stickers with. And then uh, they just create the pack for you. You don't need to learn a single line of code to make a sticker pack. So I and anticipate we'll see a bunch of And then you can sell those through the, apps, the iMessage mini app store. Right. Which they're also calling an app drawer in the actual application. Yeah. It's funny because you hear all these terms being thrown out around the introduction of the software. And at the end of the day, it's just going to be millions of consumers opening their iMessage app and going, oh, look, new emojis, right? Or or I can scribble now and just doing it. But there's sort of this underlying significance to what was introduced. The Android thing you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. the idea we'd heard this rumor that maybe iMessage was going to come to Android. And it's not as, as of right now. And we were kind of hoping for that announcement didn't happen. But... There's been a lot of chatter about that, so yeah. whether or not Apple should open up iMessage to Android. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are, uh, I think that Apple is very happy to have uh, iMessage be locked on the iPhone for now because it convinces people to stay on an iPhone. We were making a joke during the keynote that if they announced iMessage for Android, we were going to walk outside and shoot a video of taking our SIM cards out of our iPhones and putting them in Android phones and then chucking our iPhones back at the, the keynote, which isn't fair. I love my iPhone. But... I also love Android, and I would love to be able to have the freedom to switch between those things. I think that for Apple, if they can show that they can make a bunch of money off of this uh, little iMessage app store, and they can make iMessage sort of its own like money-generating independent thing and no longer just a service that you get if you happen to use Apple devices then I think it makes sense for them to think about opening it up to the much larger market of Android devices worldwide. Messaging is a really, really complicated space. So mm-hmm. uh, iMessage is a big deal in the U.S., uh, but if you start to go to other regions, you'll find that WhatsApp or Line uh, or WeChat. Facebook Messenger or WeChat, mm-hmm. 
all sorts of other messaging depending on regions is popular. And so like just saying, oh, we're going to try and take everybody on everywhere is probably a, a bad strategy. But if they can sort of establish and prove out that they can make money off of iMessage first on iPhones, then I think it makes sense for them to say, we're also a services company now and it's time for us to expand out. So I'm sure they've got something working deep in their labs. And I'm sure that if uh, if Tim Cook wanted to, he could like release the thing. But uh, I don't think they need to be in a big hurry to do it until they can prove that they'll actually make money from releasing the yeah. thing. I am not. I have to say, I'm not surprised that it's not on Android, because right now it's a very it's a sticky thing. Yep. I mean, people stick with their iPhones specifically for iMessage. I know I like it because I have total control of it over my desktop while I'm working, glued to the desktop all day, and then on my phone. And now my family members are on iPhone and all of that stuff. Yep. So there's a certain stickiness. I mean, like any messaging service, it, the success of it is very dependent on the network effect and who else is using it. Um, but also, we talked about this a little bit the other day on the Vergecast, which we taped with uh, Neil Patel and John Fort and Walt Mossberg, which mm-hmm. you all should go listen to after this because it's it's a, another really fun Vergecast. John Fort was talking about like, well, iTunes is on Windows and you can get that on other things. And and when they introduce the iPod, you can get iTunes pretty much anywhere you need to get iTunes. But that is val- it's inherently valued differently. I mean, iTunes right. and Apple Music, for example, which is on Android, um, those are things that consumers are paying for up front. Up front mm-hmm. Whereas um, the value proposition of iMessage is not that upfront cost. Consumers are paying a monthly fee for it. It's just the value of it is can we keep people in our ecosystem? Right. And so, the, again, like the, if you think of iTunes on Windows, it was to sell iPods back in the day. And then they also had a music store so they could make money off of selling music. What does Apple get out of putting iMessage on Android right now? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Right. If, they, if iMessage is a thing that could get them something, then sure, they can put it on Android. But right now, like, they don't get any benefit whatsoever for doing it. Once they prove they can make money off of it, I think they could get benefit from it. But we have to wait and see if that's going to happen. Maybe the uh, the iMessage app store slash drawer will be the first step in that direction. Yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting for Apple to sell iMessage Stickers. apps but on Android? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next topic. Which one do you want to tackle? Let's see. We've got, Boy, there's we've so got many. three others. Um, you wrote a really good story about WatchOS. Uh, Watch. we, can, we can maybe talk about that a little bit. I, I basically don't have anything to say other than I fundamentally agree with you that uh, WatchOS was broken and Apple needed to fix it. And it seems like they've done as much as can be done on the current hardware to make things faster and just more understandable. They they got rid of glances. They they simplified the UI a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually pretty happy about that. I uh, have to say it's always really great when your editor just completely agrees with you. <laughs> you just say that every time I write a piece, just say, I, I fundamentally agree with you yes. and you are correct, Lauren. You bet. Uh, yeah. So watch OS 3 something that's not going to be rolled out until the fall. Yep. And by the way, we don't know at this point if new watch hardware is going to be coming in the fall, but we have been told by Apple that it should the new software should run completely optimally 100% on the existing Apple Watch hardware. Yep. So, you know, we're talking about the same battery life and lack of GPS and all that stuff that people have talked about with Apple Watch, right? But the the biggest thing I think that Apple's VP of technology Kevin Lynch showed off on stage was the increased performance. Yeah. So Neil, I wrote this thing on The Verge a while ago saying life is too short for slow computers. And it was all about how painfully slow his Apple Watch was at loading specifically third-party apps, yep. but well, even some of the native apps. And honestly, and he wrote that uh, and, following up on the thing I wrote, uh, coined the three-second rule, that mm-hmm. if something takes more than three seconds on a watch, you completely blew it. 
No, you've lost. You've um, lost it. Yeah. And I feel like even that is generous. Like I, I think it should be one second. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like I'll grant you three seconds. And so what Apple has done is they basically, if you put these apps in this thing they're calling the dock, just basically pre-running apps at the when you hit the button on your watch, then they're just always running. And so when you go to load them or do something with them, they're already there. They're there. They're ready. Right. They're refreshing in the background with new information. Mm-hmm. So you should see up-to-date information. Previously, what Apple had done with uh, watchOS 2 software is they'd moved some of the app logic, some of the executable code of the apps onto the watch itself. And so it was supposed to make it a little bit faster to load apps. We're getting kind of in the weeds here, but basically what they're saying now is there's a certain amount of memory that mm-hmm. exists on the watch itself. We're going to put your favorite apps there. So they're just running from there and they're going to be really fast. And they showed this demo on stage. And this was kind of the, this really was what really made me think about the piece I ended up writing on The Verge. Apple was willing to show how unbelievably slow the watch was before it yep. took like nearly seven seconds for them to load seven seconds for them to load this soccer app called one football on apple watch and then they showed that and i thought oh my god they're just admitting how awful this experience was uh and then they said and look how fast it is now if you blink you'll miss it so it does look like it's going to be faster and then the ui changes you mentioned before um those are pretty significant too yeah. this idea that now there's a little mini control center on your apple watch which is something the iphone had before the fact that there's a dock which is something that your mac has the fact that every interaction they're making they're making it more shallow on the watch now you mm-hmm. don't have to tap or scroll or do things seven take seven steps to get somewhere and i think that those are all really important changes for how the apple watch works um my headline was that you know people told me this was hyperbolic but my headline was something like this just proves that Apple got the first gen kind of wrong and totally wrong. They totally got it wrong. But it's all part of the iterative software process too. And so I hate to say we'll wait and see because we had such a throwaway. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. But we'll really have to wait and see how good this is in the fall. Well, the best thing, the best thing uh, beyond just like getting a bunch of stuff right in terms of the software is Apple seems to be doing a better job of focusing on the, like what saying what the Apple Watch is for. Like instead of saying you can do this and this and this and like who knows it's the future of wearable computing. Hooray. They're like Health. Health stuff makes sense now, and we yeah. are doing a much better job of whatever health app you use. They're all going to talk to each other more easily now, and like this is good for health, and here's why. Mm-hmm. And just like laying that case out mm-hmm. step by step instead of um, having it be like one of six things you need to sort of think about if you're considering an Apple Watch. The fact that they said, and here's a shortcut on the watch face to the workout app was just like – smacking my forehead why wasn't this here before yeah. this is just the most obvious thing the fact that the the activity rings now that show your activity levels on the watch throughout the day are now now make up the watch face it's at the, mm-hmm. the yeah chronological sort of design yeah Yes, and why this wasn't here last October in WatchOS two, I'm not quite sure, but that's okay. We'll take it now. Yeah, and so that was that was WatchOS. What about TV? I wish Neil I was here for this because he's so passionate. He's so excited about the TV. The biggest deal with TV is that there's this thing called single sign-on, which means if you have cable, instead of having to sign into every single television app with your cable login credentials, you can just do it once, and then it will apply to everything, every single one of those apps. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're on, you have Apple TV. Yep. You're using the Apple TV box at home. Mm-hmm. Normally, if you use something like an HBO Go, yep. or HBO Now is the streaming one, HBO right, Go right. is the cable auth, right? Or uh, what's another example? I guess maybe... CBS's app. Yeah, anything that you Fox, are pay- also paying yeah. a cable subscription for, you normally have to go through this super annoying process of logging into those apps because you have to say, hey, I'm a cable subscriber. You have to prove it. Right. This means no longer have to do that. that you just have to do it the one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then following up on that, each cable subscriber will have a, a page on 
the uh, Apple TV App Store, I believe, where you can, or even maybe within the Core UI also, where you can look at all of the apps that are compatible with that cable provider. So if you want to use the Apple TV as like your little mini app-based cable box, you'll be able to do that more easily because you'll be able to like, you know, log into your Comcast or log into your Time Warner or whatever it is and say, okay, here are all the apps that are compatible with my cable service and I can just use these instead of going through my ridiculously horrible you know, Comcast X1, whatever cable box it is, because I'd rather just use these apps mm-hmm. for this stuff. Neil, I believe that it's like, this is like a big, huge move and the future is going to be like getting rid of the cable box and Apple like really getting into the TV market in a really big way. Um, I'm a little bit more skeptical of that. Um, the bottom line for me is that like, this is something that I'm really happy they did. I really wish they had done it sooner. And it's just going to mean like way less trying to, you know, tap around with that Apple remote to punch in a bunch of passwords constantly. So you see it as a convenient solution, but not necessarily a segue to this bigger cable TV experience on Apple TV. I think it could be I think Neil I sees it yeah, that Neil way. Yeah, Neil sees it that way. Uh, the, I'm just more skeptical. We talked about this in the Verge Castle, but I think that every time I get my hopes up about somebody figuring out how to like fix cable or fix like the experience of television, uh, it looks really promising in the beginning. And then they start marching forward, and it turns out, oh, yeah, you're still in the swamp, and it's still going to be a mess. Right. Uh, so I'm not willing to say yet that Apple has one of those sweet you know, swamp boats. What are those called? The hoverboard with the big giant fans. Well, they hate fans. Never mind. What's the thing called? The boat on the, in the bayou where you the, 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 speed um, around. The speedboat? No. <laughs> Oh, Airboats. Airboat. Thank okay. You. Thanks, Eric. Eric's, Our producers are the best. He honestly, he sometimes I'm like, what is that word? And he just shouts it from afar. Like he's in my head. Thank you, Eric. I don't think Apple has an airboat to get through the TV morass, but uh, I'm, I want to believe that they do, but we'll wait and see. We're going to wait so and see. Poetic. Uh, it was almost as poetic as my Sierra observation the other day. But speaking of Sierra. Yes. Mac OS. Mac OS. Mac OS Sierra. It's not called OS 10. The big news is they added Siri Siri on macOS is not the exact same thing as Siri on the iPhone, is not the exact same thing as Siri on the TV. Um, <laughs> or in car. Or in the car. In your car. Um, we, we used CarPlay. But you can do stuff with Siri. You can ask it the weather. You can drag and st- drop stuff out of Siri. What else do they do to macOS? They added tabs to basically everything. If you want tabs on like your Finder or Maps or browser or whatever, anything you want to put a tab on, they'll just put a tab on it. And then the coolest thing... Uh, didn't get a ton of time, is they have this uh, space-saving feature where it will analyze your hard drive, look at the stuff you're not using, and just throw it up into iCloud, into your iCloud storage, and free up that space on your local hard drive or your local SSD storage. So you can turn this thing on, and assuming you have enough you know, iCloud disk space to store it, uh, it will just quietly, silently take all that stuff, back it up to the cloud, and free up the space locally so that you've just got more stuff that you can cram onto your hard drive. If like you're taking a lot of photos or video or whatever, you don't have to worry quite so much about hitting that limit. And uh, there's a copy and paste feature. Oh yeah. So they added a bunch of people. There was this like applause (laughs) from the audience of 6,000 people, the majority of whom were developers. I mean, developers get really excited about this stuff. You'd think someone hit the winning three pointer in a basketball game. They're like, yes, copy and paste (laughs) between devices. Yeah. So if you copy on your iPhone, you can paste on your Mac, vice versa. You don't have to be on the same Wi-Fi network, but it only lasts for like two minutes, so they're not constantly storing your private copy data in the cloud. 
Um, they added other stuff that like fits into this idea of continuity between devices. So you can use, if you have an Apple Watch and you're within three meters of your computer, you don't have to type in your password to unlock your computer. You love this. I'm pretty excited about I'm it. I'm pretty yeah. excited about this too. That is if I go back to wearing my Apple Watch. Uh-huh. But that's a, that's yeah. a whole other topic. Um, and it's called Sierra. The it's new, called Sierra. The new Mac OS, which uh, on stage, Apple executive Craig Federighi said, and of course we decided to name this Sierra or something it's like so that. It's so obvious. And we, and we were like all sitting there scratching our heads like, well, I, guess, I mean, I guess it's another Mac mountain range and Yosemite was the thing before and and then I had this whole theory that you have to listen to the Vergecast and know what my theory was but um Apple is always just so they're California centric you yeah. see it in all of their demos they're like and then we went to Tahoe City and then we jetted down to Big Sur and after that we went wine tasting in Santa Barbara and you're like Walt and I are like well when are they gonna do something in I don't know like Warwick Rhode Island or yeah. Do some New England, you know. I mean, like my family trips for like town. to the Ozarks in Arkansas. Like, I think on, that people. would be a great Go hang out in Middle demo. America, Apple. Yeah. Come on, Apple. In either case. All right. We're <laughs> going to get to some reader questions. People send in some good ones. But before that, here is Kara Swisher from afar with a word from our sponsor, SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company that's helping people get out of student debt faster. Refinancing student loans with SoFi saves members on average $19,000, which is what Lauren has paid for cell phones over the years. SoFi even partners with companies to help pay off employees' loans. Talk about a great employee benefit. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com legal. Thank you, Kara, very much. So every week we ask our readers and listeners to send in their questions, comments, or complaints about tech topics. And once again, you can do that by tweeting us at Recode or at Lauren Good with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. Two R's, two S's. Thank you, Teeter. Wow, you're going you're to be great on this show. And this week we figured people would have lots of questions about Apple and WWDC, and we were right. They did. So let's get started. All right. The first one is from um, M. Jennings on Twitter. That's at Real Frisco Kid. Oh, Frisco. We're going to have to talk about Frisco, the use of the word Frisco. But okay. M. Jennings says, I signed up for the public beta of iOS 10. I forgot. What date will I be able to update my Mac, my iPhone, my watch, my iPad? So this is a, just a good basic question. When does yeah. this stuff come out? So developers can use it now. And these developer betas, you never really know how stable they are. And so you probably don't want to spend, if you're not a developer, the 100 bucks to like get into the program and get it right now. But Apple has started doing public betas where anybody can just download it and try it out. And they generally tend to be relatively stable on, like, say, Mac. For the iPhone, you tend to want to wait a little bit longer because, like, the early betas suck your battery down. So those are all coming in July. And then we expect all of these to be fully released, probably along with also new hardware in the quote-unquote fall, which for Apple is usually code for a huge September event. And there's no watch public beta for watch, Oh, yeah, there's, right? there definitely oh, there is. is. Yep. You, okay. In order to do the watch public beta, you also need to do the iPhone public beta because the iPhone is the thing that like talks to the watch. So if you want to try watch OS 3, you also need to use the iOS 10 beta. Um, and then if you want to use the cool new stuff with uh, Mac OS Sierra, you need to use that beta. So you can, you can just install all the betas uh, starting in July. Uh, but I would say that you shouldn't just rush to do it because generally speaking, these first betas are betas. And so they're not necessarily ready for everyday use. Right. Usually Apple will recommend, you know, don't use this on your primary device, which means that they assume that people doing this have multiple devices. It's a good problem to have. Right. But yeah, if it's like your daily driver and you don't want to break your iPhone or mess it up. And inevitably people do it anyway and then get into trouble. I know in particular with the watch, I think it might be difficult to roll back from watchOS 3 to watchOS 2. Uh, I could be wrong, but just 
use some caution. Maybe don't do it day one. Just see what everybody else is saying before you jump on it. Good advice from Dieter Bone. Okay, the next question is from Ad Arben Perk, who asks, will single sign-on flow extend beyond the connected TV apps to mobile apps? Thanks. That is a great question. It's a really good question. Uh, my understanding is that single sign-on also works on the iPad. I believe they said that. The thing I don't know is whether if you sign on on, say, your Apple TV, if like iCloud will sync that single sign-on over to the iPad automatically or if you just have to do it once per device. I would imagine if it involves tokenization, then it would be once per device, right? I would imagine that's true, but yeah. we'll just have to wait and we'll see. see. Wait. <laughs> We should figure out a way to do a shot every time we have to say wait and see, although it is uh, 1130 in the morning. Um, the next one is from Stuart Bailey. He's at Bailey SA on Twitter. Any goss? Oh, wow. I short goss. Gossip. Any goss? I love that. I'm guessing he ran out of characters, so he had to shorten gossip I think goss, goss is just a good word. Any goss on new hardware? Oh, and then he lists some ideas. iPad Mini Pro, Apple Watch with cellular, touchscreen Mac, 4K Apple TV, speaker with Siri, parentheses Beats, well, this guy, I think he wants a product job at Apple. <laughs> Should be on like the new and emerging technologies yeah. team over there. I mean, we are overdue for a really splashy Beats product thing that is more closely tied to Apple, right? Beats is sort of like off doing its own thing. But are we due? Thing? Are we really due? I mean, uh, do you think maybe just they bought Beats for specific reasons and the, we're not going to see this endless march of Beats headphones probably, but maybe it'll just be eventually subsumed i don't i don't know yeah i don't know either they might just keep it uh, at a distance um no the the hottest the hottest goss the hottest goss <laughs> right now is that uh, sometime later this year we can expect a new macbook pro that has a, a touch panel above the keyboard where the function keys usually are that uses an oled display so it's a, a low power uh display that's sort of like lcd but it does like certain things a little bit better um then you'll be able to have like multi-function keys that actually display what they do instead of like having to remember what like F4 does. So I've seen these rumors. Mm -hmm. We've, I think we've written a little bit about it on The Verge. And I understand that OLED is low power. So yep. it's not as though it's sucking, having a display there is sucking that much more battery. Unless this is completely customizable or programmable, I'm having a hard time at this point until I see it understanding what value that strip at the top of the laptop will, will add. It'll be cool. It'll I mean, it'll cool. look cool, but so, I want to be able to say this is this key and this is, and I know like yeah. video editors and music producers are going to really want this too, mm -hmm. right? Like telling it what it can do. And, you know, Apple is not great with customizable stuff as we're seeing from That's even the new true. control center. Although the Mac is really good at getting customized if you're willing to like step outside of Apple's garden just a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, unless they like really lock this thing down, which they might, uh, I am hoping that even if Apple doesn't offer out of the box customization of this thing, uh, that other developers will figure out how. Uh, so for example, I love lots of nerdy tools to customize my Mac. I use an application called Bartender 2. So you know you've got all those crazy icons at the top of your menu bar and there's like 50 of them after a while. Bartender 2, you pay, it's like 20, 30 bucks. It's pretty expensive, but you can customize your menu bar so that only the ones you actually wanna see show up there and the rest of them get hidden and they only appear when they need to. So there's lots and lots of really smart Mac developers that could customize that thing if Apple doesn't give us the so option. So you paid $20 to hide stuff from your menu bar. Worth every penny. This is, this is what you get at The Verge, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm proud of it. You, people who will pay, I don't know, the amount of like a couple delivery dinners. Right? That's to just it. have things hidden from their menu bar on their Macs. It's just to wrap that one up, Stuart. Oh, yeah. The goss. 
um, in terms of hardware, you might be able to expect new hardware uh, later on this summer in the form of a new MacBook Pro, but likely going to have to wait until September for, for the other stuff. Yep. Okay. Irfan Banji, who sends in questions fairly regularly, thank you for your questions, asks, explain how Siri third-party apps will work exactly, just like Alexa? Question mark. So no, I don't think they'll work just like Alexa. Um, with Alexa, you need to like un- know the exact right keyword in order to make it work, and then there's like a certain limited set of things you can do. With uh, Siri apps, it's going to they're going to be apps, and so you can you can speak to Siri like a normal person, and Siri will figure out what it is you want to do, and they they turn that into this thing they call an intent, and an app will be able to say yes, I'm able to handle that. And then the app will return the result. So, what's an example of that? So, say you want to order dinner, uh, and you want you know sushi from the restaurant you always order from. You could, you could say, "Hey Siri, uh, order me sushi from this thing. I want the same thing I got last time." And Siri will be able to take that thing, figure out what it means, and turn it into an, a quote unquote intent, which will say, uh, "This app, last restaurant, you know, same thing. Order it." And if the app is smart enough to know what all those things are, and presumably it is because app developers are pretty smart, it will be able to say, okay, and then it'll return, like, do you want to do it? It'll say yes, and then you'll have ordered the thing. Mm -hmm. The thing that's interesting about Siri, especially compared to other smart assistants, is especially on the iPhone, it's uh, this combination of speaking and visual. So it can provide visual feedback for things. So it can like show you the like the last order and you can look at it and then hit a button to say yes or you can say yes or that same thing could work with say uber you could say hey siri call me an uber to take me to work and siri will take that speech break it down into the component parts the app will understand and then the app can take that and do the thing for you so previously you could say to siri hey siri open Uber or right. launch Spotify. Right. Well, I don't think she would do that very well from the phone <laughs> um, and things like that. And, or you could even say, look for a specific, uh, like on the Mac example, you could say, look for a specific file and right. then that will open that app. But this is actually a deeper interaction that's being allowed now. Yeah, basically you're, uh, an app can tell Siri the things that it understands and then Siri can take your voice and break it into those different things. And that allows you to interact with apps in a more complex way than you could before. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, yeah, there should <laughs> be a bunch a of really cool stuff. Apple already has shown off some cool stuff. The The big, big question, though, is as with all things app-related with Apple, Apple has gets to approve these apps, mm-hmm. right? And so we don't know yet the full extent of what Apple will and won't approve. So there may be certain classes or categories of apps where Apple has decided it will not allow that to work with Siri. Um, but I don't want to, like be a purveyor of like walled garden doom about right. that. But uh, I also don't want anybody to think that like you're literally going to be able to make any app you want for Siri and any minute now that like that's going to be the only way you interact with all of your apps is through Siri because it's going to be an amazing, beautiful future. We because just it don't seems know like Amazon is a lot looser when it comes to Alexa. Right. At the Echo Tap and the Echo Dot event earlier this year, yep. I remember Amazon had said, oh, we have um, over 300 skills for Alexa. Developers have come up with around 300 skills. Right. And then all of a sudden, last month, it had ballooned to like a 1,000. Yep. And so developers are just constantly writing this stuff within certain parameters, of course, but what Alexa can do mm-hmm. for you. And it seems like in general, um, Alexa, it's a little bit more of the Wild West uh, in terms of what how Alexa works. Right. It's, so Alexa can like do more stuff currently, but uh, it's harder to know how to do that stuff because you have to like know the code words to work with Alexa. And the, the stuff that it can do won't necessarily be as deep or complex as what you could do with a full app. Mm-hmm. So you can use Alexa to do like basically like simple commands, 
Um, But uh, with Siri app, you might be able to do something really complicated, like reorder the the same sushi order you got last time. I have to imagine that at some point, I mean, we saw at Google I.O., Google introduced the Google Home speaker, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to allow this kind of interaction. When I interviewed Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, a couple weeks ago, I said, what's your favorite thing about Home so far? And he said, well, this idea that it kind of knows me, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but, um, you know, I talk to it sort of in this normal, natural language, and the speaker can respond. And it seems like Siri is getting a little bit closer to being able to do that, Mm -hmm. um, which to me brings it all kind of back to... Well, eventually, is it just going to be that way in the home, not necessarily on your iPhone, right. not necessarily on your Mac, right? Like maybe this magical Apple speaker will appear sometime in the coming months. Um, let's move on to the next question, though. This one is from, oh, I can answer this for you, Paul. This is from Paul Lowen. He says, is the app cluster screen still there in Watch OS 3? Yes, Paul, it is. Uh, It wasn't featured very prominently in the demo during the WWDC keynote. And in fact, the digital crown on the watch wasn't really talked about all that much, except it is now open to developers. But that little, that cluster of a million tiny little apps is, is still there. But I think Apple is focused more on now, how do we get you the key apps that you want to use an Apple Watch, and how do how do we make it even easier for people to interact with those key apps rather than trying to navigate uh, a tiny million little app micro apps on a watch interface? So there's that. And by the way, I should note that I think all of these questions so far are from dudes. Ladies, I want your questions, so send them in. I would love to try to answer them. Okay, the next one is from Yugi at Yugi IQ. I hope I'm saying that correctly on Twitter. Dieter, I'm going to throw this one to you. All right. Is iOS 10 really Apple's biggest iOS update ever? Oh, that's super hard. It's got the most like random features ever. I don't know if it's the biggest. It's not a, it's not a core rethinking of what iOS is, uh, but it is um, in terms of like just number of things, amount of stuff to like play with and do. Uh, it is pretty big. And there's like, you know, every every year Apple puts up a giant screen of like text of like all the random features they didn't have time to talk about. Well, wow, there's a really loud siren out there, but keep going. Uh, and there's always like some gems in there. Uh, one, my favorite thing is uh, they've made mail. So when you scroll through a threaded message, you don't have to like hit a button to go to every single next message. It's all just on one big scrollable pane, which is the way email works everywhere else. And I'm glad they finally fixed that. So, yes, it is. It's one of the biggest one of the biggest. Of all times. Yeah, but not, not right. biggest in terms of like a revolution. It's biggest in terms of number of features. All right. This last question I included here because it's not specific to Apple or WWDC, but it was just such a a kind of touching question, and he spelled too embarrassed wrong in his hashtag, so I thought I would include it. It's from Mark Jabel Frias, who asks, how do I reduce my screen on time and get more work done and perhaps socialize more? Oh man! He's asking I'm, us for life that's advice. So nice. I'm, I'm I know. absolutely the last person to ask. I know that Dieter question. really is because <laughs> I think yesterday Dieter said something to me like we were talking about some workflow stuff, and he said, "You know, that means I would be able to step away from my RSS feeds for like a couple hours each day." And I was like, "Dieter, you should be doing that anyway." Yeah, I would actually. My my biggest advice uh, I will actually give a piece of advice is turn off notifications, uh, and I don't just mean using the do not disturb mode. I mean Take a half an hour and just turn off all of your notifications except for like the one thing that you're like, oh, no, I need this. And just see how that feels for a week. Uh, and if it feels like really, you know, you're missing out on stuff, you can go back and start turning stuff back on. But just do it. See how it goes. You're, you're going to look at your phone every now and then anyway, so you'll eventually see it. Um, but, uh, yeah, just turn off all that beeping, all that vibrating, 
and and see if all of a sudden you know that need to pull your phone out of your pocket all the time starts to starts to go away because it totally will. I might also add on top of that's great advice, and I might add on top of that, try turning your phone off entirely for I don't know maybe a day at that's some crazy point. Talk. I did that a few weeks ago for a pot for this podcast. There's a podcast that we published. It's there on iTunes called um, Can You Go 24 Hours Without Your Phone? And I did this experiment. I did it on a Friday, Dieter, and I have to say I was really nervous that I was going to miss some type of message from you or Neil or someone else that mm-hmm. was urgent. Um, fortunately, that didn't really happen, but um, but it was a really nice break. And it's sort of I had to pay attention to human beings when I was speaking to them. And um and it was just a good reminder to be be sort of in the moment. So might want to might want to try those things, Mark, and see how that works out for you. And thank you for sending your question. All right, before we go, we're going to play a little game called Too Embarrassed to Answer. Oh boy, Dieter, are you ready for this? Absolutely not. Okay, let me just explain the premise of Too Embarrassed to Answer. When we have guests in studio, they're generally someone who's very involved in the tech world, but we're always talking about a very specific topic. And we like to test their general technology by throwing out little bits and pieces from the news Mm -hmm. throughout the week and see if you are up to date on all the other news that's going on. Okay. And as executive editor of The Verge, I I know that you've read all 150 stories or whatever (laughs) it is we've published since Monday. And the prize in the past has been Recode Swag, but um, I'll turn it I'll take Recode Swag. I'll get you a bottle of bullet. All right. That That sounds great. I owe you a bottle of bullet anyway for driving us down to LA. Okay. I'm going to start you off with an easy one. Earlier this week, a popular Verge story included this sentence about a tech company. But with every interaction, the company conveys its desperation. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't simply need a service that bombards us daily with professional news and new job prospects. We need a trusted resource that's there for us when we need it and fades into the background when we don't. What company is the writer talking about? Do I get a buzzer? Is there like a ding, ding, ding thing? It's, it's LinkedIn because Microsoft just bought them for $26.2 billion. I didn't even need to go through the multiple choice. Yeah, no, I didn't I'm really sorry. think that you were going to guess Glassdoor, but I no. did put Glassdoor on the list. <laughs> All right. Well, you're one for one so far. This is going to get slightly incrementally harder. Okay. Okay. Another Verge story about a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket that failed to successfully land on a drone ship included this term, R-U-D. Here's the context, okay. Later, Elon Musk confirmed that the Falcon 9 suffered an RUD. What does RUD stand for? Is it A, rocket undelivered, B, rapid unscheduled disassembly, C, really unfortunate descent? Oh, man. I knew that this happened. I don't know the, the RUD. Uh, I got to say, with with, uh, with Musk, like it's probably B, but I have to go with C because if it is, it'll just make me so happy. It is B. It is <sighs> rapid, unscheduled disassembly, which I don't know. Is that better or worse than earth-based revenue, which he said a few weeks ago at Code Conference? Oh, it's way better. Earth-based revenue. By yeah. the way, earth-based revenue, for those of you who didn't hear the Elon Musk session at Code Conference, it just means money. Yeah. It just means it's money just here cash. on good old yeah. planet Earth, mm-hmm. as opposed to like that old Martian money that maybe Elon is privy to. I don't know. Yeah. Although, I've, uh, technically... If you believe that uh, humans were created by bacteria that came uh, onto Earth on a, or all life rather came to Earth on a meteor from bacteria that was trapped inside a meteorite, technically all Earth-based uh, revenue is extraterrestrial. If you really want to, because like you we're are the ones right up there with Elon. That's what I'm. I'm sure that Elon has had this discussion. I think you two should go for drinks. Just, oh, I think that would be a mess. Can we record it and just play it as a <laughs> podcast? I would love to hear this. Eric is giving the thumbs up. All right. All right. Finally, the last two embarrassed to answer question. This is from Recode. What question caused famous venture capitalist Mark Andreessen to say, is that a serious question at the Bloomberg Technology Conference this week? 
Was it A. Hey Mark, why do you often block and then unblock people on Twitter? Was it B. Hey Mark, are we in a bubble? Or C. Hey Mark, why are you supporting Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump? <laughs> um, man, all three of those are unbelievably good questions for Mark Andreessen. Perfect, right? Um, oh, I just, I don't have it. I got to go with B. Uh, I'm sorry. That's a good one. They're all good ones. It's C. It's C? Really? Someone asked why he was uh, supporting the presumptive Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton, over Trump. And he said, is that a serious question? That's amazing. Yes. Wow. Which is really a, it's a great way to answer a question with another yeah. question, especially one like that. Also, he didn't answer with that. No, he didn't. But he then I think he kind it. of okay. unfolded, unpacked his, right. his uh, response a little bit more. Um but there you go. So you got one out of three. That's the worst. I'm surprised. Uh, well, I could have gotten two, but on the the rapid unscheduled disassembly, I I chose the the funny one instead of the true one. Yeah, you chose I, one yeah. that was more essentially Musk. Yeah. I mean, you never know what's going to come out of that guy's mouth. Dieter, thank you for joining me in studio. This has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Uh, it was an enormous pleasure. The The only thing that would make me happier would be to be able to listen to myself on this podcast. How, oh, how does that happen? That is a great question. You can subscribe to the show and you can also leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. Two hours. You'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday. If you subscribe, you can catch up on previous episodes. We answer all the tech questions that you've sent in. You can also subscribe to us on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher. Uh, you can listen to every episode at recode.net slash podcasts. And we mentioned earlier how we have tons of podcasts. So bear with me while I go through a few of them because I really do think you should take a few minutes to listen to each of them. We have Recode Decode. That's with Kara Swisher. We have Recode Replay, where you get access to all of the Code Conference content for free. People pay a lot of money for tickets to Code Conference, and we've interviewed people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Sheryl Sandberg, Ginny Rometty, and more, and you can listen to those entirely for free at that podcast. And then there's Recode Media with Peter Kafka, so be sure to check those out. And Dieter, uh, tell us very quickly about the Verge's podcast. Uh, we have a ton as well. The, uh, the flagship podcast is The Vergecast, hosted by uh, Neil Patel and myself. We also have a podcast called What's Tech, where Chris Plant explains technology at a third grade level, but it's a ton of fun. Really, really good podcast. We have Verge ESP, which is about science and entertainment with uh, Liz Lopato and Emily Oshida. And I'm probably forgetting a bunch too. Control Walt There's Delete. Control Walt Delete. Also a flagship podcast with Walt Mossberg and also Neelai Patel, where uh, Walt basically owns all of us constantly. He's just so much smarter and knows so much more that it's actually a genuine pleasure to listen to that podcast. So you should check him out. Walt knows a lot. I told Walt last night, I said, Walt, your podcast is doing so well. I just looked it up on iTunes the other day again, and you have four and a half stars. People love it. And he said the same exact thing Kara always says, which is... Four and a half. <laughs> Who gave us a bad review? And then he went on iTunes and started reading about it. But yes, definitely check those podcasts out. And don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to us. That's at Recode with the hashtag to embarrassed. You can tweet them at me as well. You can leave them on our Facebooks. Really, we're all over the place. So find us and send in your questions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you have been too embarrassed to ask. <laughs> <laughs>